an amazing selection for the last hymn there. Um, God knew what I was going to preach on, although those selecting the hymns did not. And the, the theme that I really want to draw our attention to today is hope. The first two sermons on the book of Ephesians here are going to be pretty much an introduction. And I want us to have hope. The Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick in Proverbs. But Paul says that God is a God of hope. And it doesn't matter what's happening in our individual lives. It doesn't matter what has happened in this church. Our disposition should be one of hope because we serve a God of hope. And as we just sung, he is our only hope in life and death. And our hope springs eternal. I'm going to be reading verse 1 here of Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Please bow with me in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for your word. That you have not left us here hopeless. Dear God, do not leave me to my own abilities. But give us your spirit. Rend the heavens and, and come down and make hearts your own in here this day. Lord, we ask that you would give me the unction of your Holy Spirit. That your Holy Spirit would apply the word to the hearts of each and every person here today. Revive us, O oh Lord. Give us hope. Lead me and guide me as I preach your word, to, that I would preach the truth, that I would accurately exposit the scriptures. And may no person leave here unchanged today, whether that means coming to know you for the first time, are growing more in, in our love and adoration for you, growing in our hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, to give you a, a brief introduction to this epistle, Paul identifies himself as the author in the first verse. And for pretty much 18 centuries, no one has questioned the authorship of Paul, but within the last um, two centuries, uh, people have begun to, to question that. They, they make claims of what's called pseudonymity, meaning that somebody else used Paul's name and wrote this epistle, but no orthodox scholar throughout history has held to that view, and so I think we can say with, with pretty good confidence, with absolute confidence, I would say that Paul is the author. 
Now, this epistle was written around A.D. 60 when Paul was imprisoned in Rome. So this is referred to as one of the prison epistles. Now, there's much that could be said about the purpose of this epistle. But, but one of the things that I, that I really like about this epistle, that really stands out to me, is that it's perfectly divided. The, the first three chapters are what we call indicatives. This is who we are in Christ because of what Christ has done for us. And then the final three chapters are what we call imperatives. In other words, how do we live in light of who we are in Christ? And what this means is that there is a certain way that Christians are to live. Not in obedience to the law to try to earn salvation, but because of who we are in Christ. And as Paul magnifies this glorious Christ and the glorious gospel in the first three chapters, he then says, now here is how you live in light of this in the final three. Now today we will be considering just the first part of verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. As I was preparing this week, I was absolutely amazed at, at how much could be extracted from such few words. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. How many times have we read that? And read right over it with no significance. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And now you may say to yourself, this is just a greeting. There is nothing worthy of note here, but, but this is a marvelous statement. And a great testimony to the sovereign grace of God that gives us hope. That Paul could refer to himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus is astounding. And what do I mean by this? When I say the name Paul, what do you think of? You probably think of the mighty apostle with the towering intellect. Because that is the reputation that we have of Paul. But at one point in time, this man had a very different reputation. And when people thought of Paul, they did not think mighty apostle. Consider Acts chapter 9, verse 26. We read, and when he, referring to Paul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him. And they did not believe that he was a disciple. What were they afraid of? With this mighty apostle, what were they afraid of? And why did they not believe that he was a disciple? Well, let us look a little bit at the life and history of Paul. Paul's original name was Saul. And he was born in Tarsus, which is on the southeastern coast of modern-day Turkey. 
Paul says in Acts chapter 22, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. Paul also says about himself in Philippians 3, 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. Paul was a Jew, and he was a zealous Pharisee. As we know from Scripture, Pharisees were a group of religious leaders in Israel. They taught a very strict observance of the law, oftentimes going beyond the scope of the law. Now we know that, that, that these Pharisees did not like Christ. Christ said that they were hypocrites. They were blind leaders of the blind. And Paul was no exception to this. The Pharisees were eager to see Christ die. And although we don't see any interactions between Christ and Paul while Christ was still on earth, Paul was no exception, was he? Paul comes onto the scene later on. And listen to what he says about himself. For you know, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul's zeal as a Pharisee caused him to persecute the church violently in order to try to destroy it. In Acts chapter 22, Paul says, In one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Not a good man. Verses 4 and 5 of 22, Act 22, he says, I persecuted this way, referring to Christianity, to the death. Wow. Binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. Do you see the reputation he's building up for himself in his life? And in Acts 7, we read the story of Stephen's martyrdom. And then Luke says in Acts chapter 8, And Saul approved of his execution. And then he tells us about this great persecution that arose in Jerusalem. And while devout men were burying Stephen, what was this guy doing? Saul was ravaging the church. Entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This word ravaging, 
It means to lay waste to, to cause extensive destruction or, or ruin utterly. I've heard that this word was used to describe a pig going through a garden with its snout. Just utterly destroying everything in its path. And this is what this man was doing to the church of God. Utterly destroying it. Behold, the great apostle Paul. The one who wrecked havoc on the church. Dragging Christians out of their homes to throw them into prison. Going from house to house, beating and persecuting Christians. Persecuting Christians to the death. When Paul said he was the chief of sinners, he was not trying to sound modest. This man first fiercely persecuted Christians with the motive of destroying the church. What a vile and wretched sinner. What a hard and impenitent heart. What spiritual blindness causing a man to, to murder Christians in the name of serving God. What a lost man. What, what slavery to sin. Enslaved to such anger and hatred that he is making it his life mission to persecute a group of people. This man is literally obsessed with persecuting Christians. Literally obsessed. Consider Acts chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. <clears throat> so that if he had found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So here's what's happening here. Christians are fleeing Jerusalem because of the martyrdom of Stephen and the fierce persecution. So, so Saul is driving the Christians out of Jerusalem. But that's not enough for him. It's not enough that Christians simply leave Jerusalem. So he wants to go to Damascus and find Christians who fled there so that he can bind them and bring them back to Jerusalem. He is obsessed with this. Imagine there's a group of people and, and you persecute these people because you want them to leave your city. And so they finally leave your city and you follow them and persecute them wherever they are and bring them back. This, this is the behavior of a maniac. Of a man driven by evil. I am going to go from house to house. I don't care if it's a man or a woman. I'm going to capture Christians as they flee the city. And I will track them down and bring them back here so that they can be thrown into prison. That's my mission right now. The great apostle Paul. Dear friends, this is why when Paul attempted to join the disciples in Acts 9, they were afraid. This man's reputation preceded him. 
There, there wasn't a Christian who, do, who did not know the name Saul. The name Saul would cause the hairs on the back of your neck to rise up. And now, all of a sudden, Paul is introducing himself in this letter as Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Saul, the, the fierce persecutor of those who follow Christ. Saul, the, the, the man killing Christians in service to God. Saul, the the man enslaved to anger and hatred, is now introducing himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. What happened? How did Paul go from being a persecutor of Christians Attempting to destroy the church from a man so spiritually blind that service to God was killing Christians. To the mighty Apostle Paul that we think of today. Well, let us consider the salvation of Paul. And notice here that Paul says an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul was made an apostle by the divine sovereignty of God. Which means that that first, he had to be changed by the sovereign grace of God. It was the will of God for Paul to be saved and then to be used as an apostle. But but how could a wretched, Christ-hating man like Saul turn to Christ? I tell you one thing, this man was not coming forward to make a decision for Christ. This man was not going to turn to Christ to have his best life now. He was having a jolly good time persecuting Christians. Surely a a man so spiritually blind would not see beauty in Christ. Surely a man so self-righteous would not understand his need for a Savior. Surely a man who hated Christ and his followers would not bow the knee to Christ as Lord and Savior. How then could he be saved? What type of persuasion could we use? He's a hater of Christ. His heart is utterly hardened. He's not contemplating salvation through Christ. How then can Paul be saved? Well, consider Acts chapter 9. Paul is on his way to Damascus with the intention, the goal of tracking down Christians, binding them and bringing them back to Jerusalem. He's a hater of God, a hater of Christ. But something happens on the way to Damascus. Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 6. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light 
from heaven shone around him and fallen to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Saul does not say, here's a leader, let me get him now. What does he do? He gets up and he obeys Jesus. He's a changed man. And and look what happens in verses 19 through 22. For some days, so this is only days later, he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed. Listen, the people, they know his reputation. They know what he came to Damascus for. And he's proclaiming Jesus as God? What on earth? They were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this very purpose? To bring them bound before the chief priest. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. This is amazing. What happened to Saul? Was it the physical encounter with Jesus? That made him change? Was it hearing the the voice and seeing the light that caused him to change? Absolutely not. It was the sovereign grace of God that got a hold of Saul. The Holy Spirit removed his heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. He was born again. He was regenerated. And so when Jesus said, go into the city and do what I will tell you to do there, he, he gets up and he obeys. Once again, Paul was not contemplating submitting to Christ. No one was trying to convince him that Christianity was true. He was on a mission to persecute the church, and in the blink of an eye, his heart is changed. So that now he's obedient to the one He was persecuting and preaching Christ in the synagogues. Consider the amazingness of this. He he went to Damascus to persecute Christians. But by the time he gets there, he's so changed that within days, he's in the synagogue saying Jesus is God. That, dear friends, takes a change of heart. Behold, The power of God. Behold the the sovereign grace of God. For those of us who know Christ, although we did not have a Damascus road experience like Paul, it took the same power to regenerate our hearts as it took to change the heart of Saul. 
We, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, enslaved to our sins. But Christ raised us from the dead, spiritually speaking, and gave us new life. We were blind, but now we see because of the sovereign grace of God. <clears throat> and dear friends, this sovereign grace of God should bring us untouchable hope. Oh, dear friends, the Christian should not be downcast. Of course, we have our times of discouragement. But, but this sovereign grace of God should give us hope. When we look at the world around us that's going to hell in a handbasket, we should have hope. Oh, dear friends, the, the, look at the, the life of Apostle Paul. Who would have thought that God could arrest the heart of a man like that? But he does. The very same God who stopped Paul in his tracks and made him a new man. The same God who has done that for you and I. This same God is still in the business of saving souls today. He has not ceased this work. Dear saints. There is hope for that parent who does not know Christ. That brother or sister who does not know Christ. There is hope for that wayward child full of pride and arrogance refusing to bow the knee to Christ. There is hope. There is hope for those around you who seemed hardened in their sins, impenitent, impossible to reason with, there is hope. Take heart, dear Christian. There, there is a God who, who loves to demonstrate his power by arresting the hearts of the vilest of sinners with the hardest of hearts. Do we believe that? The life of this apostle demonstrates the truthfulness of that. And for those here today who do not yet know Christ, consider the life of Paul and see that there is hope for you in Christ this very day. Right now, there is hope for you. Maybe you say, I'm too vile, too sinful to be forgiven. Look at the past life of this great apostle, Paul, who considered himself to be the chief of sinners. Paul says in 1 Timothy, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I'm the chief of sinners, but that's good news because Christ came to save sinners. Unbeliever, he came to save you. If you are a great sinner, remember that Christ came to save the greatest of sinners. And his grace is greater than every sin you have ever committed. Contemplate that. His grace is greater. Wonderful grace. 
infinite grace. His grace is greater than all of our sins. But, but maybe you say, I'm too enslaved to my sins. The shackles are, are far too strong. I cannot break away from my sin. I don't have the power. It has a hold of me. I love it. I don't have the power to change. I'm hopeless. I've tried. But, but, but my sins have me shackled and I, and I don't have the power to break them. Dear friend, you don't have the power to break them. But the sovereign grace of God that snatched Paul out of spiritual darkness can do the same thing for you this very day. And you can be free from, from the slavery and bondage of sin this very day. Or maybe you say, I know I need to repent and trust in Jesus. But I can't. My heart is just too hardened. Perhaps God has hardened me. I can't repent. I can't trust in Jesus. I know I should. Theoretically speaking, I know I should, but I can't. Dear friend, if you feel that your heart is hardened against God this day, look at what God did to Paul and take hope that he can do the same thing to you. A man completely hardened in his sins, killing Christians for the sake of God, he thought. Hardened. Unteachable. Hating Christ. And God arrested this man's heart. The sovereign grace that removed Paul's heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh is still active and working right now and can do the same for you at this very moment. What hope we have. I plead with you who, who do not know Christ. Turn to Him this very day. Trust in Him for salvation. And if you feel like your heart is hardened, plead with God to give you a new heart, to soften your heart. That you may trust in Him for salvation this very day. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Whoever believes in the Son of God has eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all His prophets that the Christ would suffer, He has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Unconverted person, does that sound good to you? Are you ready for your sins to be blotted out?
Are you ready to experience the refreshing that comes from Christ? Repent and believe and your sins shall be no more. Repent and believe and you will find refreshment in Christ. Are you burdened by your sins this day? Are they weighing you down? Are you tired of having a guilty conscience? Weary of your conscience condemning you? Are you tired of not knowing where you stand spiritually? On the fence of Christianity? Are you tired of of trying to be good enough to earn favor with God? If this describes you, Listen to the tender words of our Savior. He says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why are you carrying that yoke of sin and bondage? Why are you still carrying the weight of trying to earn your salvation by good works? Throw off that burden and run to Christ. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. He will give you rest for your soul. Albert Barnes says this is for the man burdened with a consciousness of his transgressions, trembling at his danger and seeking deliverance. For such there is relief. For such there is relief. Christ tells them to come to Him, to believe in Him, to trust Him, and Him only for salvation. Doing this, He will give them rest. Rest from their sins. Rest from the alarms of conscience. Rest from the terrors of the law. And rest from the fears of eternal damnation. He will give you rest. If you want rest for your soul, come to Him in faith. And repentance. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, saved from both the guilt and the bondage of sin. No more excuses, unbeliever. No more excuses. Your past does not matter. We saw that today from the life of Paul. No more excuses. No heart is too hard that God cannot soften it. No eyes are so blind that God cannot open them. No man is so spiritually dead that God cannot make him alive. No sinner is so wicked that God cannot save him. No man is so enslaved to sin that God cannot free him. (coughs) And no sin is so vile that the blood of Christ cannot wash it away. There is a fountain filled 
with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. We see from the life of Paul that the sovereign grace of God is greater than all of our sins. So leave your excuses behind and trust in Jesus this very day. Trust in Him. Believe in Him. Consider with me one final point here. And that is the apostolic calling of Paul. Paul said that he was an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Why does he say this? I think for two reasons. First, to, 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 to make us know that what he is writing is not his own opinion. This is inspired by God. He is writing this as an apostle. And the second thing we should see here is that God sovereignly called Paul to be an apostle. This is just as amazing as God sovereignly converting Paul. How so? God can take the most vile and wretched sinner, convert him, and make him a useful instrument in the kingdom of God. Of God. We, like Paul, not only have been saved from the wrath of God, but we've been given gifts and a calling. And this should give us hope. Not only has our past life before Christ been dealt with by the blood of Christ, but our past is also no hindrance to our usefulness in the present and in the future. But isn't what an amazing thing! God took one of the most violent persecutors of Christians and made him one of the greatest gifts to the Christian church. God took a man who was seeking to destroy the church and made him one of the greatest preachers and defenders of the Christian faith. That's amazing. And Paul would be the first to say that that all the good he did was from God. Although he used his gifts and abilities with all his might, it was not his own strength and abilities that produced fruit. In fact, he said in 2 Corinthians, For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul knew that it was Christ working through him, but nevertheless, God used Paul as a mighty instrument to advance the kingdom and build his church. And notice the apostle's behavior. He becomes a Christian after being a persecutor of Christians. And he doesn't sit around moping and groping about his his past life and how bad he was. He says, no, I was the chief of sinners, but Christ came to save sinners. And immediately he's preaching Christ in the synagogues. This man converted me, and now I'm going to serve him. 
I'm not going to sit around saying, woe is me, my, my past is too dark. Too many spots and, and blemishes in my past to serve God today. God would never use a, a person with a, with a past like mine. God gave this man a towering intellect and a gift to teach. And in spite of his past, God used him mightily, the blasphemer becoming a preacher. How ironic. Dear friends, what gifts has God given you? What gifts has he given you? Are you using them? Or are you simply making an excuse to not serve him faithfully because of your your past sins? Oh, I'm not good enough to do anything for God. Are you concerned that your life before Christ means that you cannot be useful in the kingdom of God. The life of Paul shows that such thoughts are nonsense. Nonsense. And let me just say in closing, one more time, consider the life of this great apostle and find hope. If you are not a Christian, find hope in in what God can do for you this very day. If you are a Christian, find hope in what God can do for an unbelieving world. No matter how dark it appears. And find hope that God can use you mightily. Building His church right here in Holland. Building His church all over the world and advancing His kingdom in every area of life. He can use you, dear saints. And may we find great hope in that. May we not be discouraged or hopeless. But may the God of hope give us all hope. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you that You have given us this example of of what you can do to the most wicked men with completely hardened hearts who are proud and arrogant and self-righteous. Lord, your ability to save is not even dependent on our willingness to be saved. Father, if there be people here who don't know you this very day, may you snatch them out of spiritual darkness as you did the Apostle Paul. Arrest their hearts, make their hearts tender, and may they respond to the gospel with faith and repentance. This very day, this very moment. Oh God, help us to face an unbelieving world with great hope. Father, not only have you given us examples of of how you can change hearts, but you have written for us in your word that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Help us to know that, that there is power there. 
That when we proclaim the gospel to others, we are not doing a vain, powerless thing. It seems like such foolishness to the world. But we know your power, your might, your graciousness, your sovereign grace. Give us hope, Lord. Give this church hope. Hope that that we can be a shining and bright light in this community. Hope that multitudes of unbelievers would would turn to you for salvation. And hope that that all of us and many more would, would, would be equipped in the gifts that you have given us to serve you faithfully the rest of our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.